0: If you're just joining us for the first time, uh, we've been working our way through one line of Scripture in a section of the New Testament called Galatians. It's from this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had started several churches after the resurrection of Jesus, and, uh, and, and he'd helped, start, helped with other churches, helped kind of get them on their way. And now he's right into these churches in a region called Galatia, which is we know today as modern-day Turkey. In this letter to the Galatians, Paul gives us one of the most condensed descriptions of what happens when the Spirit of God gets a hold of someone's life and begins to change them, to use one of Paul's words, to transform them. And so here's what we've been talking about over 10 Sundays since uh, May the 1st. Galatians 5 verse 22, Paul writes, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you're a follower of Jesus and the Spirit of God is in you at work in your life, then this is what you should look like. Filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right? So it's like, um, ready, set, go! Go! Let's just go do it now. Yay, all right. Get the whole list down. Uh, it's all like, don't prioritize it because it's all the same amount of importance. So we got it down. We've been 10 sermons into this, I think, or something like that. So uh, we got the list. Go do it. End of sermon. Good luck with that. I'm kidding. Let's be clear. We can't just go and do this. Growing and changing and transforming as a human being is a slow, difficult, intentional, lifelong process. If you're still here breathing oxygen, it's because you're still in this process. You don't just wake up one day and decide that you're instantly going to have all these character traits. And bam, it's done. Like there, I decided. Throughout the series, we've been saying that this is not a to-do list. It's not a to-do list that we have to figure out how to make ourselves more loving, more patient, more faithful. It's not a to-do list, which I find very freeing. This is the work of the Spirit in us. This is what He wants to produce in our lives. But you and I do have a role to play. We can either help or hinder in this process. All of these are attributes of the character of God. This is what the character of God displayed in our lives looks like. And it's our responsibility to cultivate the kind of soil or the type of character in our heart that actually grows good fruit in our lives. And this doesn't happen overnight. But if we provide a well-cultivated garden, do all we can to protect it from predators, God promises that fruit will grow. And over time, as the Spirit is at work in us, we begin to develop a heightened sensitivity to His leadership. So what I want to do this morning is kind of review review where we've been in this series uh, over these last few months, and then we're going to take some time to do a little personal reflection, to ask some questions of ourselves, to sit in the truth of what we've been talking about, perhaps find some personal connection. It's going to be a little bit different today because we're going to review a bit, and then we're going to pause and reflect, and uh, we're going to do that three times as we work our way through a review of all nine attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, so... Before we do that, let's just pause and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of coming together with our church family to hear from your word today, to worship with our voices, to reconnect after the week. And uh, thank you for that. We invite your Holy Spirit now into this place and into this time together. Uh, May you speak into our hearts the truth that you want for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We started off back in May. The first attribute on the list, love. So, we talked about a couple of Greek words used for love in the New Testament phileo and agape. And in this verse, it's agape, which is the highest and noblest form of love, love which sees something infinitely precious. In its object, right? It's a love that values and esteems. It is an unselfish love. Um, Agape love is more than a feeling. I mean, it can be a feeling, but it's more than that. Uh, It demands action. It is total acceptance of the person as is. So we talked about another well-known passage where the word agape is used in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul writes that love is patient, love is kind, Sounds like fruit of the Spirit. Agape keeps no record of wrongs. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape never fails. And then in the words of the Apostle John, he says, since God loves us, we ought to love one another. So we said that it is impossible to love God with everything that we are if it does not also evidence itself in an increase in our love for other people. It's impossible to love God with everything we are if it does not also evidence itself in an increase of our love for other people. Here's why love be- appears at the very beginning of Paul's description of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of the follower of Jesus is, the love for, is this love for God and this love for others was central to Jesus' vision of how to be human. We have to start there. Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that's the standard. So the the question is, what are you doing to turn your enemies into neighbors? Because the way of Jesus is for us to turn our enemies into neighbors, even if it costs us something, even if it's scary, even if it's uncomfortable. but, But that's the heart of God. Like, what would happen in a community like ours if a couple hundred people or so in a church like this one, if those people in in our personal relationships decided to go the full course with God and learn to love and embrace our enemies? What would happen? Second attribute, of the fruit of the Spirit is joy, and, and we often use the words joy and happiness interchangeably, and though they are very close in meaning, there is a significant gap between how we view happiness and how God views joy. Happiness, in and of itself, is a good thing, right? It's an, it's an inherently positive feeling, but here's the issue. Happiness does not equal joy, because happiness, as we most often think of it, is dependent upon our circumstance, It's an emotion that that literally results from a spike in dopamine, a hormone that's often called the happy hormone, that is produced when we experience something pleasurable or enjoyable. Joy, on the other hand, is something so much deeper. And even though we might say that we're looking for happiness, joy is actually what we're after. Joy is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. And that doesn't mean that we can't or shouldn't or won't be happy in the process, like along the way. But our goal in life should not be pursuing happiness. Our goal is pursuing a relationship with Jesus and being transformed by the Holy Spirit as we yield to the power of the Spirit. And when we do that, we will find and experience joy. In John 15, Jesus is explaining for us the process by which the fruit of the Spirit is produced. And it's a very uncomplicated process. He says, remain in me and you'll produce much fruit. Remain in relationship with me, and by the power of the Spirit, you will bear fruit. He says, Walk with me, and the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians will become more and more present in your life. And then Jesus says, in the final verse in that that section of scripture, He says, The reason I've told you these things, the reason I've described how this works, is so that you will be filled with my joy. Joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God, it's not something we create by our own efforts. So, so why does walking with and abiding in the Spirit actually result in joy? I believe that joy is a result of gratitude. It seems to be pretty widely accepted and acknowledged that the more grateful we are, the more joyful we will be. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes this. He says, As God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. That this grace, this grace may cause gratitude to overflow to the glory of God. Grace is an undeserved gift. Grace leads to gratitude, and gratitude gives way to joy. And as we stay connected to Jesus, who is the vine and is the source of this fruit, we will find joy. So, We ought to make space for God by surrendering to what He wants to do in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and joining with Him in what He wants to do. Through us, we find life and joy in Jesus. Let's go back and revisit Amanda's teaching on peace. Peace is often reduced to simply meaning the absence of conflict. But it it points to something so much more than that. In the Old Testament, the the word for peace is shalom. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The core idea is that life is complicated and life is complex and life is full of lots of moving parts and often there's hurt and there's pain and there's darkness. And when any of all these, these things are all missing or out of alignment, our shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole and it needs to be restored. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament He foretold of a future king who would be the prince of Shalom. His reign would bring Shalom with no end, a time when God would heal all that is broken. Jesus came to bring peace to everyone. In John 14, Jesus said, My peace I give to you all. Paul said in Romans 5, he said, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus restored to wholeness the relationship between humans and their creator. And now, as followers of Jesus, we're called to make peace, to bring shalom, to bring healing. We're to be agents of healing and wholeness in our world. In another letter by Paul, this one to the Christians in Philippi, Paul says in Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything. And I love that, how, like, just, that's it, don't be anxious. Like, how? Oh, here's how. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It's almost like Paul can read our minds, right? He knows what we're thinking. He actually tells us how to accomplish, you know, how to not be anxious. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace, he says, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say if you do all these things that all your troubles will disappear. He doesn't say if you don't do these things, it'll all be good. He says that God's peace, which is this amazing gift that is impossible to understand, this gift can be yours as you draw near to Him, as you trust Him with everything. And it's the Spirit of God who produces in us this fruit, this peace, this wholeness, this contentment, even in less than peaceful situations. We're going to pause right here and take a few moments for personal reflection. We're going to do this three times today, so I'm just let me kind of set this up for you and kind of give you a little guidance. We're going to put some questions on the screen, one for each fruit of the Spirit. We're going to play some music. As we contemplate these questions, I encourage you to sit in the truth of what we've been talking about and perhaps find some personal connection to it. If you can avoid it, let's not leave the room quite yet. Let's all participate and reflect on what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us in these moments. Thank mm-hmm. you. Next is uh, patience. Patience has to be one of the most unpopular (laughs) of the fruit of the Spirit. It's right up there with self-control. I mean, love, joy, peace, of course we all want those things, right? Sign me up for that, first in line. But patience, I mean... I think, I think we called it, because we're talking about fruit, I think we called it the honeydew of the fruit of the Spirit, right? That kind of white honeydew that you always find in a fruit salad, and it's clearly just filler. It has no flavor at all. That's how that's I kind of look at patience. But we kind of uh, turned the typical discussion on patience on its head, and instead of talking about the everyday things that tend to try our patience, we talked about, instead we talked about our often unspoken struggle to be patient with God. Those times where it seems like God isn't doing what we need Him to do when we need Him to do it. You know those times when all we can do is wait. So we asked the question, what if patience is actually not passive? What if it's active? What if God is developing something in us in the waiting? And is it possible that we have a role to play in that? In those seasons of life where we find ourselves waiting, we tend to draw some really harmful and unhealthy and wrong conclusions about ourselves about others and about God and we believe some lies and we repeat those lies over and again over and over again to ourselves so let me just remind you if you're impatient with God about some situation in your life and you're wondering what's taking so long and does God even know what's going on and does he even care is he concerned where is God anyway Here's something I want to remind you of as we wait. God is not absent. God is not apathetic. And God is not angry with you. God is not absent, even though it might feel like he's absent. God is not apathetic, even though in the moment it kind of seems like he doesn't care that much. And God is not angry with you, because you probably asked the question what did I do wrong? Like, what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? God, what does it take to get your attention? How can I get your blessing back? How can I get you to pay more attention to what's going on? God's silence is not a sign of his absence. The thing we have to remember, the thing that possibly has the greatest potential to grow the fruit of patience in our lives in the midst of difficult circumstances while we're waiting for God to show up, it's this, that there is a purpose to your pain. There's a purpose in the tension of our waiting. There's purpose in the exercise of your patience. Think about the greatest source of tension in your life right now. Think about the thing that you wish you could just speed along and get to the other side of this. Think about the thing that you, where you wish you could just make something happen. The thing that absorbs your thoughts day and night when you pray. This is what you pray about. Here's my point. That tension in your life right now could be the focal point of God's activity in your life. If we choose to trust, if we choose to be patient, if we choose to wait on Him. Because here's the thing. Patience is not passive. It's not passive. Let's learn to embrace the waiting To thrive in the tension of waiting on God. Trust that God is working. He's always working even when we can't see it. In our waiting, while we're being called to grow in patience, then what sustains us? Like what are we leaning into? We're leaning into truth. We're leaning into hope. First, truth about who God is. Truth about his nature and his character. And hope in that truth. It's the goodness of God. In our past, that gives us hope for what that what we're waiting for is better than what we currently have. And patience in the face of tension and waiting in what hold, feels like a holding pattern. Like what does it look like? It looks like knowing our heavenly Father as He is. It looks like trusting in His promises. It looks like surrendering to His timing, surrendering to His leadership because we know Him, and we know we can trust Him because we know Him to be good and gracious. The next attribute of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is kindness. Think thing about uh, kindness is we often confuse it for niceness. But niceness and kind and nice actions are often motivated by fear, while kindness is motivated by love. For example, niceness can be motivated by a fear of conflict, or a fear of rejection, or a fear of vulnerability. And don't get me wrong, niceness is good, but niceness is different from kindness. Kindness is seeing people. Niceness is outwardly kind but can be inwardly selfish, while kindness is seeing the other person and is more concerned for others than for self. Kindness is a one-size-fits-all policy toward all people in the recognition that all people are made in the image of God. And as we read the accounts of the life of Jesus, the more we learn about His character, the more we look at His interactions with people, the more we can trust that He sees us with kindness in His eyes. And we can trust that the Holy Spirit can fill us with this same kindness for others. A few weeks ago, Aaron suggested that the conversation about kindness isn't complete until we talk about kindness toward ourselves. And whether or not we give it much thought, we all have an inner dialogue positive or negative. We all have a way of talking to ourselves. And we're familiar with Jesus' words where he says, love your neighbor as yourself and treat others the way you want to be treated. But like, how are we actually loving and treating ourselves? Why does the, the grace that, was so, that, that we so easily tend to extend to others often feel impossible to extend toward ourselves? So she talked about some practical ways to practice kindness towards ourselves. She said it's, not, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. To be kind to your emotions. The transition is temporary. Embrace being a beginner. That we should interrupt lies with truth. We should surround ourselves with people who will speak truth. And we should treat ourselves the way we treat others, we just flip that upside down, extend the same grace to ourselves. Because kindness is a reflection of God's humanity or God's relationship to humanity. It's a reflection of God's relationship with humanity. God has always been kind to us, even when we don't show the same kindness in return. He provides for those who love Him and those who don't when we deserve it and when we don't. And he continues to offer grace and forgiveness. And from an earthly human perspective, that makes very little sense. But that kindness was ultimately demonstrated through Jesus. We should want kindness to grow in us because of the kindness that's been shown to us by our Creator, our Heavenly Father. And it's in that rich soil, that acknowledgement of the kindness of God in our lives, it's in that rich soil that the fruit of kindness will actually grow and our hearts will be turned towards meeting the needs of others. Next attribute of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. The goodness that Paul is referring to in this list of the fruit of the Spirit, it's not good actions. It's not just us doing good things. It's, not, it's more about the inner person. It's about our character and our integrity. And many of us would say, well, I'm a good person. Look, I'm in church quite a bit. Maybe not every week, but you know, as often as I can be. Here's the thing about good. Good is a relative term. Hadn't thought about that until about two weeks ago. Good's a relative term. It has to be compared to something. Our goodness as Christians is relative to the standard of God's character. Jesus said only God is truly good. So to say that God is good means that at his core he is good, that his essence is goodness. And because of what he always does, what he always does is good, there is nothing bad, there's nothing evil, there's nothing dark about God. You could say that he is good all the time, or more accurately, he is goodness. All the time. So if only God is good, then how can we ever grow then in the fruit of goodness? How can we ever be good? Goodness starts. By accepting that Jesus has forgiven us through Jesus' death on the cross. That it continues as the Holy Spirit works inside of us to make us more like Jesus. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Our goodness is not determined by what we do or what we don't do. Our goodness is determined by the very fact that we were created by God. 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, Everything God created is good. The bad things that we do, the sin that we often give into, it does not define us because at the core of our being, that's not who we are. At the core of our being, we were created for goodness, and depending on your church experience or tradition, you may resist that idea that you were created for good because maybe you've been influenced by some, some version of Calvinism. And if you have never heard that term, don't worry about it, don't Google it. Well, you can if you want to, but maybe after church. But a lot of us, depending on our church tradition, have been influenced by some version of Calvinism that teaches that first and foremost, humans are depraved and unworthy and incapable of anything good. With all due respect to John Calvin... I believe if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, when God is creating the world and everything in it, including Adam and Eve, like he would pause every time and he created something and he would say that it is good. He saw it and it was good. And when he created Adam, and he created humans, he said it was very good. You're very good. I know when sin entered the picture, so much changed and the fall resented, resulted in separation from God and so much changes the, the changed to the way that God originally intended it. But I don't think it changed the fact that God declared His creation, including the crown jewel of His creation, to be good. And I just want to throw this out there, that I believe it's the desire of the Holy Spirit to awaken that goodness in us. That is the work of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is to awaken the goodness in us, to grow that kindness in us so that we can reflect the kindness and the goodness of God to the world around us. And I don't know about you, but I'm not always good. Me and Craig are not always good. Thank you. I'm not always kind, I'm not always patient. But here's something maybe that we can meditate on and process this week. The way that we create really good soil for the Spirit of God to work in our lives, to develop the fruit in our lives, is when we just really acknowledge who we are and stop pretending that we're something different than we really are. When we see God for who He is, we see ourselves for who we are. I think we just sang about that. And when we sing, we see ourselves for who we are, for who God created us to be. And we just acknowledge that then we're learning to allow God through the work of His Spirit to begin to do something new in us because He sees us as who He created us to be. He sees us as who we will be. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to draw that out. So He wants us to acknowledge that. He wants us to allow Him to be at work like that in our lives. That's how we cultivate kindness and goodness and love, joy, peace, patience, all of this fruit brings us to our our second reflection point. Let's put some questions on the screen. We'll play some music. Let's quietly and thoughtfully consider what the Holy Spirit is showing us right now. The next attribute of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Faithfulness is the very essence of God's character. His faithfulness lays the foundation that we need to be able to love Him, to follow Him, to walk with Him. Being fully able to trust God is actually the beginning of a fruit-filled Life, but if we don't fully believe that God is faithful to lead us into the best possible life we could live, then we won't seek His will, we won't trust Him with our family, with our job, with our finances, and we won't be able to fully enjoy His presence. Faithfulness is not exactly the most flashy characteristic on this list, it's not always eye catching or newsworthy, and that's kind of the point because faithfulness is dependability. It's trustworthiness. It's reliability. It's being the kind of person that other people can rely on. Faithfulness is, by definition, the predictable, the habitual, the routine. It's the sort of thing that when we see it, we tend to take it for granted. Thus, we tend to not give much credit for it. But there needs to be a recognition that there's beauty in accomplishing the routine. There's something to be said for doing the little things for the ordinary. The biblical word for that is faithfulness. And when faithfulness is included as a fruit of the Spirit, it's not talking about God's faithfulness to us, but this trait of God being evidenced in us. It's talking about us displaying the trait of faithfulness in our relationship with Him and in our relationships with each other. So the question becomes, what can we do to allow the Holy Spirit to grow faithfulness in us? We looked at one of Jesus' parables in Matthew 25 and we came away with three things that Jesus speaks to that we can do to increase our faithfulness. And We said, first of all, we need to take stock of our God-given ability. Like being faithful begins by understanding the gifts and the strengths and the personality and the opportunities that God has given us. Number two, we need to act on our God-given opportunities. Like being faithful means putting what God has given us to work for Him. This is about opportunity. We need to act on our God-given opportunities. And then number three, to take note of our God-given accountability, to pay attention to the fact that there will be an accounting for what we do with what we were given, The next attribute of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Gentleness is having power but choosing to wield it in a compassionate way for the benefit of others. Have you noticed we live in a quick-tempered, blame-fueled culture where we want to take out our frustrations by criticizing others, by avoiding responsibility, by fearing or fighting anyone whose way of life we don't understand or ascribe to? And at times, acting with gentleness almost seems like an act of rebellion, right? Because we we usually feel entitled to act in, in harshness rather than gentleness, but gentleness is not our default mode. There's nothing that demonstrates strength more than gentleness. Maybe that sounds a bit counterintuitive to you or a bit of a contradiction even because the picture of strength that we often paint or that is often painted for us is someone who just gets what they want, right? And someone who like goes after it and says what they want and often in a very loud and aggressive way for everyone to hear. People who will do whatever it takes to get things done. People who will plow through and run over every obstacle that gets in the way. Sometimes that's the picture of power and strength that we have in our minds, but I contend that there's nothing truly strong about a person who operates that way or a person who is quick to lose their temper or resort to aggression or violence in words or actions. That's anything but strength. It's a display of weakness. The gentle person earns the trust of others because the character is consistent, it's reliable, it's steady, They're aware of the needs of the people around them. They're willing to bring their peaceful disposition to each and every situation. So the question is, what about you? Like, how do you wield your influence, your power, your authority? A few weeks ago, Megan reminded us that gentleness is an expression of God's grace. Gentleness is an expression of God's grace. Gentleness is our witness to a generally harsh world. The final attribute of the fruit of the Spirit in this list is self-control. A few weeks ago, we heard, I think, some of the best teaching I've ever heard on self-control. And I want to just highlight a couple of things that Ben said in that talk and maybe whet your appetite to go back and listen if you missed that. Self-control, kind of like patience, is one of the less popular attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something we ought to have or at least ought to want to have, but it's not necessarily something we really want to have. Thankfully, the Apostle Paul understood something about the sin nature and right here in Galatians 5 before these verses about the fruit of the spirit about five verses before he says the sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires these two forces are constantly fighting each other Hmm. no duh been there Self-control is to be free from the tyranny of our automatic responses. I love that. Remember the Viktor Frankl quote, between stimulus and response there is space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. I put a note right here, repeat, because we need to. Between stimulus and response, there is a space, and in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. So we're encouraged to think about our automatic responses, those responses that we go to the most. See, Jesus said he was calling us to a rich and satisfying life, which is so much more than a list of automatic responses to life, like hitting our buttons over and over again. So if between our, that the stimuli in our lives and our response, there is space, what does that space look like for you? Like how much space is there really? What would it look like for you to create more space? What would it look like for us to consistently choose our response, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us in the best direction? How do we expand that space enough creating enough margin to have the capacity to make better decisions, to treat people better, and being actively engaged in the renewing of our minds and the transformation of our character as we become more and more of who God is calling us to be. In the second half of Ben's message, he gave us some really helpful suggestions for a couple practices that would bear good fruit in our lives when we actually practice them. And so I just encourage you to go revisit that message online from August 21st. We're going to close uh, these thoughts with one more series of questions for reflection. But before we do that, let me just simply read these words of the Apostle Paul. It's like for over four months now, uh, we've been focusing on 22 words in two verses in Galatians 5. So between five teachers, we've spoken over 60,000 words in 11 sermons to draw out the significance and meaning and personal application of these 22 words. But just after these words, in verses 22 and 23, Paul says this, and I'd like to put it on the screen and, and have you read it out loud with me, and this is how we're going to close this teaching. Let's read this together. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's quietly reflect on these last three questions, and then we'll join together in worship with music. <laughs>